Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Flex with LaShawn. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm LaShawn and this is a podcast designed to talk about nutrition, fitness, health, and lifestyle. This season, we're focused on healing mentally and physically. So I've been asking you guys to send me your submissions and your questions, your concerns, whatever is on your mind. And I just really appreciate it. It's been helping me create the direction for each show and trying to be more transparent myself. You know, by you guys being more transparent with me, it it creates an atmosphere for me to, um, you know, just tell some of my stories. I feel like I have been through a lot of things that I've learned lessons from. And why not share those lessons so that someone else doesn't have to go through the same thing that I went through? You know, anxiety, depression, overeating, sex addiction, uh, gambling, other extreme lifestyle choices, they all are a part of our trauma that we have not gotten rid of. And a lot of us have been through some really intense situations that we possibly have developed PTS over. Taking the time to understand what healing is and what that looks like for you is very important. Now, for me, I have, you know, experienced death in my life with very close people, you know, back-to-back situations. And that is where my anxiety comes from when I do have those uh, intense feelings of needing to be in control and needing to uh, take charge in certain things. It's because I want to have control over my life. You don't know that tomorrow um, is going to be there for you to actually enjoy something that you wanted to enjoy or say I'm sorry to somebody that you wanted to say I'm sorry to. Every moment that we're given from God, we need to take and we need to make something of it. We don't have time to sit and worry about Oh, this person is not liking me. This person said this about me and this person said that. It doesn't matter. You know, it really doesn't. Things are going to get on your nerves, but I'm I'm learning to only let things um, affect me for a very short amount of time. And that goes for even in relationships or um, jobs, Anything that's making me unhappy, I give a a certain time in my mind. The person may not know, and even the job may not know. But in that certain amount of time, if something doesn't change around for me in the positive, it has to go. Like, and I don't think that people understand how big forgiveness is. It's not for anyone else but you. You know, that's the biggest factor in all of these things that we're thinking about. A lot of times we haven't even forgave ourselves, you know, for certain mistakes that we made. And let alone we haven't forgiven other people for things that they've done to us. And we're holding on to it, you know, holding on to that energy. So, you know, it's 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 definitely in order for us to move forward and heal. You have to reflect first. And by reflecting You know, it's not about reliving the situation over and over again. It's about taking the time to say, I recognize that I was hurt and I didn't give myself enough time to grieve, you know, over anything that it is that you may be going through. 
And so because you may not give yourself that time, you're rushing, you're, you're moving forward, you're moving here. And so finally, whatever mechanism that you're using to cope with any, with all of these things, you're now doing this obsessively because you don't want to sit back and think and, and fall into that place to have to reflect. When if you just reflect on, the, on, on situations as they come along, instead of piling on, piling on without giving yourself the, an, enough time to look at what is hurting you and fix it, you know, you're, you're just piling on, piling on where it's though it's a breaking point. And at that breaking point, you don't want it to be that you lost your life. You know, you don't want it to be that uh, so much stress has caused you to get sick. I have watched people close to me pass away without notice. I have watched um, things happen to people and you're just like, whoa, this is not this person isn't even in their right mind anymore. You know, in a in a a blink of an eye. It can be that way. So for me, when I think about, you know, we we always have this thing of, oh, I'm not I'm not fooling with her. I'm not doing that. I'm not fooling with him. Okay. Well, you don't know if you're going to have another day to even apologize. So you have to be okay with knowing that you have someone's left this earth without you being able to even reconcile with them. That you'll never talk to you again. And when you start to actually, and I, and I hate that a lot of times for, for people to really understand that you have to go through pain for you to understand that. And a lot of the things that we go through, they require forgiveness for ourselves and they require us to forgive others. And unless we do that, you're not going to have a peace of mind. When you're operating your purpose, you don't have time to let anxiety or depression slow you down. You got to pull yourself up out of it because can't nobody else pull you out of it but yourself. And some things are involuntary where you have to go seek help and you got to go do what you got to do necessary to pull yourself up out of that. But when you are, you are put on this earth for a purpose, there is no there's no one else like you. No one. No two people in this world are the same. And that's how unique you are. What you have to offer to the world is something totally different than the next person has to offer. So we don't have time to let people, negative people be around us and toxicity be around us. So we can't live in our purpose and do what we were actually designed to do while we were while we are here. And when you're not living in your purpose, you you fall into those uh, desperation field when I'm not doing what it is that I love to do. I can sit around and just now I got time. I have idle time to um, juxtapose myself next to someone else. You know, I have that type of time for me to have negative thinking and create negative thinking within myself. And now that this is a new year, let's stop the negative uh, self-talk. Let's start forgiving others. Let's start forgiving ourselves. Let's start, uh, you know, really taking charge of our lives by implementing the things that we need to do necessary to move on from our hurt. Those are the things that are causing depression. Those are the things that are causing anxiety. Those are the things that are holding us back from living our purpose.
If we start to heal the areas of our lives that are causing us the most pain first, then we can start implementing new, healthier coping methods into our lives instead of abusing our bodies and and excessively indulging in alcohol or other things that are going to create problems um, within our bodies later on down the line. Up next, health activist Anthony Waters is going to join the show and talk to us about his efforts to get people to drink more water and live healthier lifestyles. My name is Anthony Waters, uh, founder of More Waters Co. Drink More Waters um, on social media. Um, And More Waters Co. is a lifestyle brand that uses water, exercise, and healthy lifestyle education to uh, help create healthier communities, specifically in Baltimore City, but everywhere in any urban community, I think that they can replicate what um, what I'm trying to do, and I'm, I'm hoping that's, that is what happens. Um, a lot of what I try to do is try to make health and wellness the wave. We oftentimes gravitate to our culture, or everyone gravi- gravitates toward our culture, whether it's music, fashion, business, uh, the list goes on and on. And oftentimes when it comes to health and wellness, though, um, we haven't really created anything um, that we can gravitate to. And a lot of times, you know, eating healthy seems almost white or, you know, it's just, it's not, it's not something that we not necessarily relate to. You know, we want our, our food, we like soul foods and fried foods. We grew up in Baltimore City. We grew up eating chicken boxes and cheesesteak subs. Um, I wrote an article about food deserts called Finding Water in the Desert, where I talk about, you know, the unhealthy food environments that we were born into and, and what, so what, what, what was the wave to us? It was a chicken box with salt, pepper, ketchup, and hot sauce all over. Um, I would eat it three, four times a week me sometimes. <laughs> so that's just what we like to do. Um, that's what we always seen. And you look on our blocks, it's corner store, liquor store, carry out, corner store, liquor store, carry out. And it's like, who um, gave all of these businesses incentives to move into the hood? Who allowed three liquor stores to occupy one block? Why is that necessary? We don't do we drink that much Hennessy? And it's so crazy because you that's a good point because when you think about other cultures and other mm-hmm. countries, like when I go to Jamaica, mm-hmm. no one's eating fast food like exactly. that. And the fast food that they do have, it is like you're sitting down and you're having mm-hmm. to wait for your meal to be prepared mm-hmm. and then you're eating, you know? Yep. You're getting all this stuff on the go, and it's like what are you actually really putting in your body? Exactly. And then you have, like you said, You'll go and 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 try to start a healthy lifestyle, and now people are telling you, "Oh, you're acting yeah. out of your culture. You're acting white." Yeah, you know. Or oh, what are you eating? Or that? Or, yeah. or it's just foreign to. And I think a lot of it is just I don't know what a butternut squash is, so right. like I'm not going to want to <laughs> eat that. You feel me? But right. Um, I think that. We also been disconnected from our history, and if we look back far enough, those are the things that we were eating anyway. Those are the things that we were growing on the farms. Those are the things cultivating that, the land yeah, and all that kind of exactly. Stuff, right? um, you think about sweet potato, for example. We call sweet potatoes yams in America, um, but that's not an American word. That's not an English word. Um, but they actually call them yams in the grocery store. Um, so you know that came from us. That came from Africa. We came. We bought that with us. We bought certain words that kind of stuck around through the test of times. So when you think about what what's natural for us to eat, or, or what are the things that we were doing before um, 
slavery and then reconstruction and the civil rights era and so on and so forth. When you look at our neighborhoods now, um, I read an article not too long ago um, when what they call white flight happened and all of a lot of people moved out of um, a lot of the white people moved out of the city into the suburbs and a lot of the factory jobs left and they were looking for businesses to come back. Um, they gave incentives to fast food companies and in many urban areas you saw an influx of fast food and carryouts moving to the inner cities and that's how these food deserts were created the grocery stores left um and then these are jobs that were created that don't really pay no money they're not like the factory jobs that were mm -hmm. there before so now we create now now we're creating a, a, a space where poverty exists and there's no healthy food yeah. um and the food that we eat not only affects us physically, it affects us mentally, it affects us socially, it affects us in so many ways. Um, alcohol, the same way. It affects us in so many ways, and when we consume it chronically, then we start to have problems later on down the line. And now, um, if you look at our community, chronic disease is the number one killer of our people. It's not the murder rate, it's heart disease, cancer, and stroke, and diabetes. Um, so how do we find so solutions for that? How do we put healthy foods back in the neighborhood? And how do we get some of those other stores out of the neighborhoods? So how do we make healthy food cool again? How do we make drinking water cool again? Everybody want to post up with a bottle on the gram, but mm -hmm. who going to post up with a bottle of water and say that's just, and that's mm -hmm. just as cool? Like, exactly. You know? um, and so that, that, I think that's what my aim is. So when the more waters, more waters cold with the launch, you know, we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to continue to put out articles like the one I did about the food desert that kind of talks about that. I'm going to continue to put out, you know, workouts for people to do that may address something that you might be dealing with specifically. I'm going to put out music playlists to go with the workout. So it's something that you can vibe to when you do it, but I'm going to keep trying to engage you and then and then most importantly the event so we're, we're trying to launch a big summer so for summer event um in the past i would do group training uh workouts every summer it's called okay. soak for the summer um that's nice and we do that weekly at montebello lake so this year i want to have a really big event vendors um music djs slip and slide moon bounce for the kids i mean the whole nine and all health and wellness based um you know, all the food trucks will be healthy food vendors. Um, it'll be green shakes or fresh food. It'll be uh, someone there to screen blood pressures. It'll be okay. someone there to test for HIV. It'll be, um, you know, all of those different types of things. And then pointing you to resources so you can figure out how to get healthy for yourself. But it's going to look like us. It's going to feel like us. It's going to be curated by us. So it's going to be a good time, too. And I think that is one of the ways you make, you know, health and wellness the way because we got to be healthy. Um, I kind of got into this field, I don't want to say by accident, but almost by accident. Um, so I, I started off, uh, I was at Howard University for undergrad. I majored in sports medicine, but I went to school for engineering, and then I saw the curriculum, and it was like, <laughs> That's nah, it, right? That's You're dead. like, you know. had to find something that you connected yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. And I was a football player, so... Um, Obviously, the major has sports in it, so I was like, okay, okay I probably can do something and right. stay around football. Um, ironically enough, I'm not doing anything sports-related at this point, but football and sports in general did help me a lot to get to this point. So um, while I was at Howard trying to figure it out, um, I, I found a mentor, and I, I encourage everybody, if you don't have a mentor, to get one. 
who like and I didn't want to go back to school, but she really encouraged me like to go back to school for something, and she wanted me to go back to school for physical therapy because that's what okay. I told her that I was interested. And in. so this was undergrad. This was still an undergrad, okay. and I was okay. trying to okay. So I'm going to physical therapy school. I'm gonna be a physical therapist. I'm gonna work with athletes. Okay. And um, it's funny how life works, and God just puts you in certain spaces, and you don't even realize what it's for. Um, as time reveals itself, but um, the, the dots start, the dots start connecting, to connect. You know, yeah. it started making sense. You're like, okay, this is yeah. why I'm here. Right, right. And <laughs> there's little pieces you take for everything. You uh-huh. take it for granted. You don't even know what's happening. So I started off there, um, and it really is what launched my career professionally. I started working. So like to get into PT school, so I'm still trying to get into physical therapy school. You gotta okay. get a certain amount of hours in clinical. Um, settings. Um, so you got to work with patients in some way or another. So I had a job at this little outpatient clinic in downtown DC. And then later I got um, a really good gig at MedStar NRH, MedStar okay. National Rehab Hospital, which is an inpatient rehabilitation hospital for people with like um, very serious injury, whether it be injuries or um, it, so out. So we had a, the second floor where it was all like amputees, spinal okay. cord injuries, people that were paralyzed, things like that. And they had like uh, they saw people for cardiac issues as well. I worked on the third floor with all the stroke and brain trauma patients. Okay. So I'm look for the first time in my life seeing people literally go from laying on a bed and not being able to move at all. All they can do is look at you, to then rolling over, to rolling over and sitting up to sitting and then transferring into a wheelchair, to actually mm-hmm. standing up and being able to hold a weight, to being able to take that first step. The same way you would a baby. Yeah. It's like you reteach all of these steps to somebody because of their um, neurological condition that they underwent. I saw people who had pieces of their skull cut out and like their head is like indented in. Like you, wow. I, so like, um, you know, and it's a very scary sight when you first get there. Um, but what was very, what was most important about that being in that space in that time was the tra- I went through training for three months on how to work with these patients, and I never forget I'm with um, I'm with uh, one of the therapists, a younger um, white girl, maybe 25, 26 or seven at the time. She was a young physical therapist, no older than 30. Um, very, very, very nice person. Um, so we we go to a room to see a patient, and she's like. This patient always denies therapy. If they deny therapy, we can't see them. I'm sorry, we won't be getting training today. I don't expect him to participate, but we're going to see what happens. He's on the schedule. Okay. And we go to the room, and of course, he denies again. It's an older black guy. Um, he don't, I don't want to do it. And then he see me, and he's like, hey, what's up, nephew? It had to be from D.C. <laughs> I'm like, what's up, man? How you feeling? He's like, oh, man, come on, get me out of here. Take me to go get some cigarettes and a beer from the store or something, something, something oh, along those Lord. lines. I'm like, no, nah, man, you in the hospital. You realize where you at? Like, but right. we really need to do these exercises, though. He was like, all right, nephew, come on, let's do it. I'll do it. <laughs> and it was at that, and, the, and, the, and so then the, the, uh, my, the therapist that was in charge is in awe, mouth open, like, how did you get him to do that? Like, what did you say? Like, why was that so, like, and to the point where she requested me to be with her every time she would see not only that patient, but all of the patients. She okay. was like, he got something to him. And it's not really anything special about me. It's the fact that he, he finally saw it. Yeah, exactly. You know? And that is what it takes, like you said. You know, find ways to connect with the patient. Exactly. exactly. And, and find ways to say, okay, this brother looks like me. Mm-hmm. So 
he's looking healthy, he's looking strong and vibrant. Mm-hmm. I want to get where he is. Mm-hmm. So how do I get there? And they see that in you, and then that helps. And then they want to do know? it. Exactly. And not only that, I mean, especially older black people have a mistrust or a distrust of hospitals in the first place. But it made me realize that it needs to be more people that look like us in the space. Like, it's not, you know, uh, physical therapy is a very uh, white woman-dominated um, industry. Mm-hmm. Um and when you look at doctors, it's a white male-dominated industry for the most part. And so it's hard to find people that look like us in those spaces, even in hospitals that sit dead in the middle of our communities. And so how do we you know, fix that? So that kind of motivated me from that point on. Again, that was very important for me, um, seeing that process happen you know, um, while in school, learning about it and working in neuro outpatient physical therapy where I'm watching patients again learn how to walk again, right? So now you got athletes on the elite, Division One athletes, you know, brain and body connection and stroke patients, same brain and body connections with a light bulb, like you said, went off in my head, okay, here's an idea. Um, why are we not building exercise programs like this for our stroke population, right? Um, and so when we look at people who have had a stroke, they're the perfect example. Um, usually what happens is you have a stroke, you stay in the hospital a couple of days, they send you to inpatient rehab, depending on how bad your stroke was. Let's assume one side of your body is affected, so you can't move your left arm or your left leg. Um, you really can't move at all when it first happened. Um, you go to inpatient rehab, they teach you how to walk again, how to feed yourself again, how to button your shirt, all of these basic things, um, and build you up so that you could be at least a little bit functional enough to go home. And you might have home therapy, then you come to us at outpatient therapy. Usually what happens in outpatient therapy is you still lack a lot of movement in those limbs, um, and we only going to be able to see you for 14 to 25 visits most of the time. Okay. Um, most of these patients are on Medicare, and there is what's called a Medicare. It used to be a cap. Now it's a threshold, meaning you can go over the threshold. So they give you $2,010 for therapy a year. But that runs out pretty fast, That runs out it? pretty fast, 14 yeah. visits usually. Now, if you are still progressing and getting better, you're allowed to go over the threshold, but the therapist has to keep proving see, that you're progressing. That's what's going on. So... Related, it, it well, that's kind of like a sim- similar to a stroke. My brother, he had a pulmonary um, embolism, okay. so that caused him. He was in the hospital for mm-hmm. a very long time. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't even think he was going to make it. When he came out of that, going to the physical therapy, mm-hmm. it's like he's always having to get pre-approved right. for more therapy sessions. Right. So it it runs into a problem because then. Like you said, you have some people that aren't even willing to have the uh, um, the physical therapy to begin with. Mm-hmm. So when they're going through all of these problems back and forth with the medical, uh, the Medicaid or whatever mm-hmm. it is, it's like, you know what? Forget it. Yep. I'm not going anymore. I'm done with I'm it. Done and with they're it. not getting better. Yep. You know? Not only are they not getting better, or even let's take the best case scenario. Patient is super motivated. They want to come get better. They come to all of their appointments on time, and they do their homework, mm-hmm. right? Still, at some point, you're going to stop making progress. You're going to plateau. You're going to hit a wall. The therapist, unless they want to put their license in jeopardy, has to document when you stop progressing, and they have to show what's happening. And at that point, insurance is like, all right, no more authorizations. They done for the year. You know, they can come back next year. Mm-hmm. Um, 
when the cat reloads. So now you wait four, five, six months to come back. But guess what? When you have a stroke, there's no gym that you can go to and keep doing your exercises. Most of the time, the person taking care of you don't know nothing about the stroke except for what they've been learning along this process. And, you know, when you go home with your family, they're living their lives, too. And now you're a new dependent. So now we're going to find the easiest way to transition. I'm going to pick you up and put you in your chair. I'm going to put you in a car. You, you, and so now you're not moving at all. And I'm doing everything for you. I'm going to bring you your food. So you're sitting on the couch or in your bed, literally crouching up. And, and going and backwards, moving, and going backwards. So we mm-hmm. get the patient again. The next year, a lot of time they regressed. Um, a lot of times they end up back in the hospital. Some of them may even pass away. Um, and you can have depression from that. Very you know, much so. You, stroke you is get into that. stroke is very much a mental and social condition, just as much as it is physical. Just imagine waking up and not being able to use a whole side of your body. Yeah, you liable to go I, crazy. I even know with my brother. You know, he wakes up sometimes. He'll his wife will have him call me. It might be 3 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. He's waking up crying. You yep. know what I mean? Because he's trapped. It's like basically being trapped in a exactly. body. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So imagine how that feels. And where is the programming to address it? So um, I had a long conversation with my boss. They loved me. They didn't really want me to leave. Um, but I knew, like I, I, like, I was already in a space where I was a tech for too long. And it's like, I have two degrees. I'm way more capable than the person going to get ice and filing charts and watching the front desk or whatever. Um, I need to be challenged in my work environment. So, But there is no space for exercise professionals in healthcare, really. Well, guys, I have to take a quick break. I'm super excited to announce the new sponsors for the show. And they're not only brands that I use, but they're brands that I believe in. Unless you do like cardiac rehab. Um, and that that's an issue in itself. So now I have this mantra that movement is medicine. And it's something that started then. And I'm like, okay, well, exercise clearly works. Right. So why are we not doing more of it? Physical therapy is essentially exercise anyway. So if so, why wouldn't insurance pay for exercise one? And why can't we create exercise programs for these people once they're done with therapy so they can keep getting better? Right. I agree. And so that's what I proposed to my boss. Um, again, God is amazing because it started out at PT. Then I took me and then I thought, OK, maybe I'm a strength coach. And I went to Morgan and all of these different routes that I took. Um, and being involved in a community that brought me to this space where I'm creating a new exercise program in a conservative hospital space that don't do things like that. So we created an exercise program that's cash-based where you can pay just like you would a gym. Really? Um, at the hospital okay. for neuro patients. Um, once they get done with traditional therapy, they can sign up to see me one-on-one. And for me, there's no restrictions for insurance because insurance don't pay for it no way. Exactly. And you can come to me as long oh, as you see fit. Such- a great thing, yeah, you a, know? That is amazing. Um, I'm going to bring my brother to you. I'm going to get yeah, him to start doing services, yeah, you know? Yeah. I mean, his uh, physical training and there. I, and that's where I want to take it, and I'm going to get to that in a second of how mm-hmm. to, how we grow that. So, um, you know, again, how God worked is so amazing because all of this started again in 2014. I was born on November 17th. So, seven 
and 17 just always been a number to me. That's right? my favorite number, seven. Yeah, so seven is like the day of completion in the Bible. It's mm-hmm. lucky numbers. So many reasons why seven is the number, right? And so back in 2014, when I got home from school and everything was starting to go wrong, and I started putting it together, I kept saying in my head, 2017 going to be the year. 2017 going to be the year. I just spoke it into existence. And every time something would happen, I kept saying, watch 2017. So um, I proposed the idea to my boss. She kind of shrugged it off a little bit, told me to write a proposal. I wrote the proposal. She was like, oh, this is actually pretty good. But then all of the politics going to her boss and then them going to the directors and the presidents. And it's like, well, we don't know. We're going to see. And it was kind of like pushed to the side. Um, and so... That was maybe beginning of 2017. And I kind of stopped thinking about it. And I still was working at Morgan. This is where I started teaching the fall of 17. Okay. And um, we didn't really know. And it was funny because things changed. A lot of things changed in the hospital. And we're sitting at a meeting one day. And, you know, because we have an orthopedic and a neuro team. The orthopedic team do, like, knee replacements, things like that they were being moved to a different part of the hospital. So at this point, it's like, okay, how can we grow our programs? We have more space. We want to keep all of our space. And everybody's a little bit frantic because there's change happening. We want to make sure everybody's keeping their job and things like that. So in the middle of the meeting, my boss goes, this is literally July 7th, 2017, 7-7-17. We are in a meeting. We haven't talked about this program for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for other jobs all of that and or how can I do this on my own without the hospital because I got this great idea (laughs) and I don't want y'all to steal it no way exactly and um so literally on that day you know my boss goes you know they're like so we need to you know the the therapists are asking questions and we need to think of ways to to add more programs and do different things and Anthony actually had this program that we've been working on and da 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 Anthony what do you think I'm looking at her like Oh, yeah, so we doing it for real now? Do it? Right. But I was ready. I'm like, all right, so this is what we doing, y'all. And from there, it kind of took off. It still ended up taking almost a year to get it off the ground. And, uh, but, but I had faith. And so in 2018, I quit my job at Morgan before I had the new job at the hospital. Okay. And I was only working PRN as needed at the hospital. So I was getting like three or four hours a day. And so it was like, you really taking a leap of faith because you ain't going to have no money. And I was in March. I said I couldn't. I just couldn't take it anymore. And but what it allowed me to do was um, launch, take drink more waters more seriously. Put yeah. out my food desert article in spring of 2018. You know, and really launch everything else that I was doing on my own. And then everything else fell into place. I got the position at the hospital, and now I see patients. We also started that a Parkinson's so program. Amazing. Look at God. You God know, works in like, crazy, so crazy, crazy ways. And you never know where you're going to end up. You put that trust out, you know, in him, and he's, he'll finish it, you know. Yeah. That is amazing. At this time, I was really in a space where I was trying to figure out what was next for me. I moved back home. Uh, my mother has lupus, and she was really sick. She wasn't working. Um, coming back home as the first person to graduate from college, you kind of, like, feel like you expected to take over everything and fix it when it's broken. I couldn't do that at the time. So it was really a low point for me, but it was also a point that motivated me to get out of that hole. So um, I did everything. We started a nonprofit organization called It Takes One Inc., where we give scholarships to students um, from Baltimore City um, and then try to engage the community through events um, and fundraising um, uh, programming um, to try to get the city to 
understand the power of one dollar and the power of themselves individually but also us as one collective so that's why it's called it takes one because it takes you individually but it takes one as one whole community to really create change and um so we launched that 2015 at the same time i'm finding my way as a trainer i think it still wasn't drink more waters but i had started doing some personal training freelance work um I had one of my best friends, Rashad Stadium, was running for city council. He was the youngest person to run that year, 25 years old. Okay. Um, managed his campaign or helped to manage his campaign. Um, so I'm in grad school managing a campaign. Oh and I'm God. working, work, and, oh, and I moved back home to work at an outpatient at Good Samaritan Hospital okay. doing the same type of work with neuro patients, but out in an outpatient setting instead of an inpatient setting. So I'm working at that job, and then I still think I'm going to do sports, though. So um, I started working. I also got an internship, a paid internship at Morgan State University as one of the strength and conditioning coaches. Okay. So I work with the football team, the track and field team, and the tennis team. Absolutely love the experience um, for what it was worth. Um, gave me a chance to work with, with students, and I'm relatively close to their age, so I felt like I had something to give them, especially the football players. Um, but at the time, you know, I'm managing working two jobs in grad school, launching a nonprofit, and helping my Oh, my gosh. I don't even campaign. know how. You know, it's like sometimes you think about all this stuff you put on your plate, and you're you like, oh, my God. Like, you know, you can get, like, in the middle of it, and you're like, I think I bit off a little more than I yeah, can achieve right for now. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, for what sure. is going on? <laughs> for sure. I always say that about the nonprofit, if nothing mm-hmm. else. Like, I think looking back at it that's something that you do once you've established yourself yeah and then you have the capacity to give back yeah because trying to give back when your glass is mm-hmm. empty you don't got nothing left and for yourself like i feel like even with me i know i want to tackle you you know you want to tackle on so big of projects right. but then like you said when you focus just on one person you could just change that one person's yeah. mindset yeah. You are, you are giving back. You are like, giving back. Exactly. Like with what you did in the hospital when that guy mm-hmm. saw you, you know, that mm-hmm. was you giving back in your way. Yep. And Reaching I think sometimes we don't even understand we're giving back. And mm-hmm. then we want to do this big, large scale situation. Mm-hmm. And like, not right now. Like God is like, <laughs> look, do this first. Do this first. And I then got I got you. <laughs> learning, learning how to scale. You mm-hmm. know, I think that's a millennial issue too. At least a young millennial issue is like, mm-hmm. You want it all now. And it's on yes. Instagram and you don't yeah. want to wait for it. Everything you is see fixed. everybody getting it. And they not really getting it. They just look like they're getting it. Exactly. But you think, okay, I got to do this. Well, I want to do this bigger than them. And it's like, mm-hmm. take your time. Plan it out one by one. When I look back at it, like, you know, just because of time, you know, God and the way things play out, I ended up scaling it anyway. I started here and I look back at all of the pieces that I helped, that helped build the blocks to get me where I am today and it and it do take time you just got to trust that process yeah. so we starting out you talking about 2015 it's 2019 now um you know almost five years to get to the point where I could actually launch a business when I was right. trying to start you a business the, the whole launch time it right now yep. and now if you think about it all right if you look back if you would have launched it then you wasn't ready wasn't ready at all but now you got so much mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. so much just even seeing um, I'm sure just being in like a physical therapy atmosphere in general, yeah. you know, you get you get to connect with people, you get to grow with them and see certain things that helps yep. elevate your mindset to say, okay, yep. you know what, 
now I even have a new idea to add to what I was doing in the first so place. You, you get said what I'm that. saying? I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> that right. take me right to where I'm going next. So, so back to the to the story. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I said, I was working at Morgan. I was in grad school. I was working at the hospital. Uh, the campaign is now over, so that's kind of off my plate. But I still got those three things, and it takes one, and we're trying to figure it all out at the same time. Um, Shout out to my other co-founders, Antonio Brown, Tamika Smithson, Rashad Staten. We founded It Takes One Together. And it's finally to the point now where we have a team. We're looking to build. We're going to do our third big fundraising event this year. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And, you know, we've given away five scholarships. You know, it's a process. Um, I didn't want to move on without, you know, saying that piece. But um, so... And so, you know, as much as Morgan did for me, it was time to go. I even taught phys ed for a semester, which helped me build some more connections with the deans of the How school. How is that? Because when I went to Morgan, we had, like, folk and square dance. Like, what did you what did you teach at Morgan? Like, I told, I, we didn't do phys anything. Ed, my phys ed class was basketball and softball or something like okay, that. But okay. But the idea more so was to teach what, you know, what physical education looked like, what health okay. exercise looked like, what health and wellness looked like, like, on the ba- most basic of basic levels. Okay. Um, and an introductory sorts. Um, some of the students were phys ed majors, so they were trying to learn how to teach, you know, physical education, so to speak. So there were things outside of the sports that we were playing okay. to to be taught. But it was, it, if anything, it was a it was a another wonderful experience to add to all of these experiences that I'm mentioning for a reason. That's all gonna make sense at the end. Um, I had 42 students. They didn't pay me no money. $700 for the whole semester. Are you serious? Didn't have the nerve to break that down into three payments. No, I was getting I can't. like, after taxes, <laughs> I was getting like a hundred and something dollars. Right. The first check didn't come till October. The next check didn't come to December. And the last one in January. I started teaching in August. So, you know, but I, so it was like volunteer almost. Um, mind you, my intern position at Morgan was only $10 an hour. You know, and so my job at the hot, so I was working at the hospital before I got the gig at Morgan, but I couldn't quit the the job at the hospital because Morgan wasn't paying me enough. So I had to figure it out. Um, and so it was just about a hustle. And I think that's another important point. Like, you got to put the work in and you got to be willing to do it over time. And it's, it's worth it when it's all said and done. But, you know, being able to teach 42 students who the first day, you know, one of the students, the girls raised their hands and asked me, are you on the basketball team? Because I'm, I'm not that much older than them, especially uh-huh. then. Um, and so they didn't, they thought I was in college just like them. I'm like, no, nah, I actually right. <laughs> have two degrees now. Right. Um, I, so I graduated with my master's in exercise science from McDaniel College, started teaching. And then after that year, I decided to transition out of Morgan altogether. Like I got okay. everything that I felt like I could get from them. Um, I didn't see myself going up that ladder, and I didn't want to be a strength and conditioning coach. Exactly. As much as I like building that relationship with them, with the players and the students, um, I just didn't like the overall politics of collegiate sports. And, and that's important things. to know when it's time to like yeah. move on. And it's like yep. you know, you, you need it. It's a lesson, and you need you need yep. a new. Yep. you know situation basically yep. Yep. but like you said all of these experiences gonna help me get to a point in the end and so um at that point i had my master's degree in exercise science where i learned how to prescribe exercises i learned what was going on when people actually exercise how did that affect disease how does that affect you know an athlete what's changing in their body what's the connection between the brain and the body what's that adaptation that happens when you exercise and what i learned that was um, 
when people get like so a football player, for example, mm-hmm. when they come to the weight room, they go to their trainer, you know, they don't get stronger at first, at least because they getting bigger and their muscles are growing. They get more stronger, they get faster, they become more coordinated, they have better balance from exercise, literally because the brain learns to connect better with the body. And so what's happening is you're building the connection here between brain and body and not necessarily building muscle. You don't start growing muscle until a lot later down the line. So that helped me a lot because I was able to watch that process. I saw people do like exercises like a power clean, which is a complex lifting weightlifting exercise who look very uncoordinated at the beginning of the year by the end of the year especially like my track girls um you can see it the most because football players are a little bit used to doing some of those movements they do them in high school but you get a girl that hasn't touched the weight she from some city she come into college she just fast she ran track and then you put in a weight room and she looked crazy under it and by the end of the year she hadn't really gotten any bigger but she was pulling weight and throwing it on the ground better than some of my and football when you players. And said that strengthening, conditioning, mm-hmm. and also balance. Right. You know, um, just learning that the, all of those motions and understanding the connection between mm-hmm. the brain and the body. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you kind of have to understand the physics behind it yep. in order for you to actually get the gains down the line. Yep. You know, yep. you got to yep. knock that part out first. Yep. And, I, and that's my issue, honestly, with the personal training world. Is People it? not that well. You know, like mild dehydration can have a negative impact on your um, productivity, mm-hmm. your energy mm-hmm. level, your alertness, um, how you respond with others, easily right. agitated. You right. know, all of those things in the workplace, you're teaching these kids early on, how do I go and survive and, and mm-hmm. for myself and make good choices for myself, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah, and not, and not even just with water, but with the exercise piece, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, learning early with what movement means, why it's important, especially when we're moving into a day and an age where we move a lot less. Where we don't, you know, it was one point in time where you went out and you had to hunt for your food or grow your food. You were in the field. Everybody was moving all day long mm-hmm. just, you know, to eat, you know, before we had industry. Or you were moving all day long for the industry at a time, whether that was working the farmland or building something or whatever the case may be. Everybody had roles where they moved a lot. So our grandparents ate food that came straight out of the ground and wasn't as processed. And they worked all day and moved, and they lived long lives. Um, but we aren't doing that as much. So it's important that we get to them early the so they get that. meals were amazing. I don't amazing. know, like my grandmother, she used to always say, she's like, you're going to miss me when I'm gone. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> and I do, you know, because those meals, as a child, I would, I wanted a Happy Meal because right. I had the toy and the Happy yeah, Meal. It was, yeah. it was a marketing uh, yeah, tool to get me latched in. But why wasn't I wanting the spaghetti that my grandmother was cooking mm-hmm. or, you know, With something those yeah, green exactly peppers that, that she, you those fresh, yeah. <laughs> fresh veggies, you, you know, yeah. you, it's appealing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and that's done on purpose and you know we talked about it a little bit earlier with the food does it thing um, and how those companies got to move into the hood but not only did they get to move into the hood none of those companies are owned by black people but if you look at that marketing slogans and that marketing campaigns ba da ba 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 like who's that for every, you feel me all the culture mm-hmm. is I was just why I was laughing like, Kenty Cloth exactly McDonald's Kenty Cloth y'all yeah, like, have you seen the Cheetos commercial with the rapping uh, Chester is rapping no, I, I put it on that. my Instagram yesterday yeah. I was just like I can't take it but mm-hmm. they were 
that just using the culture yeah. to grab our attention. Yep. I'm just like, you know what? Yep. You're selling these flaming hot Cheetos. Yep. Someone can go and eat an apple mm-hmm. and be just as filled with this. But who was probably the number one consumer of hot Cheetos? You feel Black me? Like people. hot and Cheetos and Kool Aid and Pepsi. That's like our thing. Um, and so they do that on purpose. You look at Popeyes. I'm. I don't know for sure. I don't mm-hmm. want to speak out of turn, but I am pretty sure that Popeyes is not owned by black people. Right. But that they pop up with these commercials with this auntie on there talking about, mm-hmm, my fried chicken so good. <laughs> and that make you want to go buy it. So they, they literally take our culture and sell it back to us. Mm-hmm. So my whole thing, again, is how do we reverse that? Let's take our culture and sell us something healthy with it, right? Exactly. If we're going to gravitate to our culture anyway, let's put positive pieces attach positive positivity to it and and see where that gets us um and i think we see that in different avenues sometimes and i just want to see more of it but health and wellness specifically i think that that's missing so um we can do the same thing that popeyes do the same thing that mcdonald's do the same thing that everybody do to sell us our culture right back to us um and create something positive and create a pot with a pot in a positive light we don't even understand how important those efforts of Michelle and Barack and the things they did with food insecurities, food deserts, exercise, movement, and healthcare, um, and how important that was to us as black communities. Um, and when you look at America as a whole, we, we, we spend by far the most money on healthcare. But as far as developed countries are concerned, we have some of the worst health outcomes. And it's like, how is that possible? There's a couple of things going on. One, everybody has a form of Obamacare or Medicare for all where they have a one-payer system. Everybody got health care. Um, and, and so it's easier to manage people when people aren't coming to the emergency room because they don't have health insurance and getting that treatment. And it, it costs the hospitals and insurance rates go up and so on and so forth but not only that we make food a big business fast food a big business um we make pharmaceuticals a big business and we make healthcare in general a big business and so we're not getting to the root of the issue the social determinants of health are people stressed are people exercising are people eating right and how do we prevent people from getting sick in the first place we go to a lot of other countries and you don't like you said before we're not seeing all of these fast food and even in the fast food places they're cooking real food and not this processed whatever subway chicken only 50 percent chicken exactly. and they tell you that it's healthy food and they tell you that this is how you lose weight it's a healthy thing to eat no you actually are probably eating something that can help cause cancer but we don't we don't know enough of these things and it's not built into our government platforms or in the way we structured our society in america so people suffer from it and now we're seeing the results of very unhealthy people and very high costs and exercise and food can fix so well, we made, much uh, of it. Pharmaceuticals, you know, exactly. that's a big business. Exactly. You want to sell the high blood pressure medicine. Exactly. Uh, you know, the high cholesterol. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your efforts um, in our community is definitely not going unnoticed, you know, because it's definitely going to tackle one person at a time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I appreciate it. And if you could give us your Instagram name so they can follow you and okay. see what you're doing. Um, drink.more.waters. Drink.more.w-a-t-t-e-r-s on Instagram. More Waters um, on Twitter and drinkmorewaters.com. So watch out for the article. Watch out for the events. 
Um, you can purchase online exercise programs, whether you want to lose weight and get in shape or whether you have an issue with your blood pressure or diabetes or whatever the case may be, that may be a way that I can help you. Well, guys, that's the end of the show. I just want to take the time to say thank you for tuning in. Also, I want to take the time to thank our guest health activist, Anthony Waters, for coming in and being so insightful on uh, everything that's going on in the healthcare industry and everything that he's doing in the community to help us live better lifestyles. I also want to take the time to thank our sponsors for the show, Brainless. Thank you so much. Um, and as always, you can reach me at xlashawn at gmail.com and also uh, on Instagram, LaShawn Chantel. All right. Have a great week, guys.